Hello and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, a podcast in English exclusively dedicated to the Commonwealth Libertadores, the greatest competition in South American club football. Forget the Copa America, forget the final of the European Championships because it's all about the Libertadores, which gets back up and underway with the round of 16 next week. There's some big, big ties to chew on. And myself, David Windsor, and Mr. Oliver James Wilson were were kind of discussing it all this week. Uh, I'm I'm in East London. Mr. Ollie Wilson is far afield in the beautiful, serene city of how, t- uh, Tbilisi. 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 Sorry, ex- excuse my my ignorant geography. But uh, yeah, so so we managed to get together and have a chat, and we talked about all things last sixteen, the Libertadores. We kind of refreshed ourselves slightly in terms of what happened in the group stages and how that tees up all these um, all these big games. We still fancy Flamengo and Palmeiras to be the bang on favourites. There were betting tips. There were talks about Borre going to Germany and Romero going in at River. Oli kept us up to date with all the transfer news. But um, yeah, this was a good little pod to jog the memory ollie and just very faintly wet the appetite ahead of the last 16 clashes yeah i have to actually apologize because i think i was almost listening to myself towards the end of the podcast as i spoke and i think i sound really miserable and like down on some of these ties and stuff and i'm, de- I'm definitely not i just I, I don't know if i've been worried about the internet connection and everything or like you know the, the slight delay or anything like that i just i'm worried that people are going to be really bored listening to this because yeah i i really am looking forward to it. i know i, I start off by saying you know, is it going to be just more football as we've had more football? But the more we spoke about it as this podcast went on, I've been thinking, yeah, yeah. There's, there are some really good teams to watch. and There's some interesting stories. And I'm pretty much convinced myself that I'm going to have a like, hundred quid or so in my back pocket come the end of this <laughs> tournament as well. So I'm kind of really excited for it now. <laughs> no, I, I think it's also, it's the case that football moves so quickly, Ollie, that it, whatever happens in the Copa America final, whatever happens in the Euros final... After two days, like you win or you lose, people immediately are thinking and talking about the next competition, right? Like you have your couple of days where it's kind of mad and and of course, you know, winning these big finals does have a aftermath and there's plenty to dissect and celebrate or commiserate about. But by Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday next week, Ollie, it'll be all aboard the Libertadores. So there'll be there'll be so much to think about. And um yeah, it was uh it was a good pod, mate, and uh, you... I'm looking forward to Yeah. Are you mental? Like England have been moaning about losing, not winning a final since '66, and have written songs about it. If England win on Sunday, it's gonna be never-ending for a good ten to fifteen years. And you know what? I might not even be able to watch the games, either the Copa America or the Euro 2020 final here in in Georgia. So I might miss two of the grandest moments in world football of Messi finally winning a major trophy with Argentina and England ending their freaking tournament drought and my excuse will be i was covering junior boxing in georgia so i missed these (laughs) two incredible events ollie i don't think you have to worry because brazil are going to win the copa america and italy are going to win the euros so you know there it is (laughs) right ladies and gentlemen enjoy the part back to the edge of the box oh that is an absolute scorcher Matthias Enrique has never scored in continental competitions he has now Aranga pulls the trigger and delivers on B Nacional's Libertadores debut they lead against Sao Paulo a wrestling club look like they're going to be the only Argentinian side to win in week one of the Copa Libertadores group stage. We're not going to talk loads about the Copa America, right? Because there's other podcasts that will do that and have a look at Pete's Colasso podcast that previews the final, which is taking place today, Saturday, July the 10th. I just want to say that it is kind of... It's crazy, but also brilliant that such important Libertadores games are going to be played like three days after major finals in Europe and South America. And I was... I was thinking, Oli, oh, that's really weird, isn't it? That's really odd. And then I was also, the counter to that is, it's actually not odd. That's what football is now. And major tournaments will be quickly followed up by other really, really important football matches. The the days of kind of having that six, eight week summer period where you actually don't think about football and you pick up the kind of pre-season results 
and look back on how they how your side got on. Those, those days are gone. It is now football, back-to-back, chock-a-block, no free days in the calendar. So the fact, actually, that we're going into this round of last 16 of the Copa Libertadores only like three days after two major finals isn't that weird, but it kind of is, if you get what I mean. No, no, I, I definitely understand it. It's um, it, it actually felt more shocking at the end of the last Copa America only because Peru's uh, Paulo Guerrero like played in the final and helped carry Peru all the way. And then he appeared in the round of 16 four days later. And you're like, this guy has no off switch. <laughs> and then you remember, as you say, like football has no off switch. And mm. like I've spoken to many people about my lack of enthusiasm initially going into the Euros because it just felt like we'd had a constant drone of football for however many months. And then we only had a week and a half, two weeks, and then the Euros began. And of course, the Cop America soon after that. And actually, I've loved the international tournaments this summer mm. because we don't have any of the fluff conversation pieces about transfers. And, you know, there's less of an overreaction to managers as well in, in the press. Sure. And we're just enjoying football at the bare bones of football. It's just a great international competition. And I think, actually, with the Libertadores... Would we, would we be... Would we be saying that only if England had got knocked out early on or is it just because it's coming home? I am wearing an Italy shirt as we do this. So uh, that shows where <laughs> my thoughts are for tomorrow's final in the Euro. So don't worry about that. It's not, not necessarily been some England bias in the Wilson household for sure this summer. Um, but, uh, but I do think like the Libertadores may again... I'm just a bit worried about in the same way with the Euros I was worried about not getting into it. I'm very worried initially that I might be like, oh, we've just had all the football. Let Give us a break. But I also <laughs> I also know that if these games start like kick off really well, I'm not going to mm. be like that at all. I'm going to dive straight back into it. And I'll just get sucked into the late nights of South American football once again because I'm a sucker for punishment when it comes to just keeping it going. And imagine being in... I mean, you I, I, mentioned it earlier. Imagine being in Brazil. Like, it never yeah. stops there anyway. So why should yeah. it stop anywhere else? Yeah, is I mean the Brazil stuff we we can talk about as the pod goes on only, but just the fact that that Brazilian league just keeps on going, like just relentlessly, solemnly plods along, it, despite the fact there are major international tournaments. There's Libertadores and Sudamericana just around the corner. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. We'll get into some of the, the statistics a little bit uh, further down the line, but you know some of these Brazilian teams only have played ten, twelve games. You know, in the interim of late May, when the when the group stage is finished and the the last sixteen is about to start, so yeah, enjoy the Copa America uh, final and the and the Euros final. There might be a little bit of representation from Libertadores plays in the finals. Montiel might get minutes for Argentina. Perhaps Everton, Hibera will come off the bench. We'll see. But but by and large, it's uh, Libertadores players haven't been haven't been too involved in the Copa America really. Mm. Let's talk Libertadores, Oli. Should we start? Um, do you want to start Boca Atlético Mineiro? Or however you want to start. Let's start with Boca Juniors, I think. Um, I guess yeah. Atletico Mineiro. And let's, yeah, let's kick off with Boca. Because, so I was having a look at uh, at this Boca side. And and basically in the last day or so, I've just been looking through the ins and outs that these clubs have had. Because the summer transfer window or the winter transfer window in South America is where quite a few changes take place. And I just noticed that Boca have actually managed to pick themselves up a couple of forwards. Which seems mm-hmm. like a step in the right direction, wouldn't, wouldn't you think? I mean, don't get me wrong, neither of these forwards that they picked up in uh, Norberto uh, Briasco from Huracan and uh, Nico Orsini from Lanús have been that prolific. But I will say Orsini was last year in the Sudamericana, one of the driving forces for Lanús's push to the final. So maybe somebody has pointed them towards the Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast <laughs> over the the winter months in South America and just gone, hey, these boys know what they're talking about when we might need a striker, actually. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I also look at the players out. Andrade, and I know some of these players, Boca supporters, won't be sad to see, but Andrada, Mas, Buffarini, Jara, Capaldo, Zarate, uh, Soldano, you know, I mean, he's that, you know, and then and then Carlitos Tevez as well. So they've had a chunk of footballers going out. A lot of those players received a lot of criticisms from uh, from Boca fans, from neutrals. You know, I know they Boca fans weren't very impressed with the fullback. Soldano didn't do much. Zarate is nearing the end of his career. So too Tevez. So, yeah, maybe you can look at Andrada's move to, he went to Mexico, didn't he? Mm. Um, so that's a big loss. I know they've got, I was reading the Boca in English 
uh, Twitter feed earlier, and they were talking about a potential deal for San Lorenzo striker Franco Di, Franco Di Santo, and that's kind of ongoing, so maybe that will happen. But, I mean, when it feels like a long time ago now, Oli, but Boca in the group stages to reach the last 16. They only scored six goals in six games. They did only concede two goals as well, which has been the backbone of their, I'm not going to say success, but their consistency in the Libertadores the last few years. So, yeah, there wasn't too much to like from Boca in the group stages. But as you say, they've brought in some some new names. A lot of players have gone out. Maybe they've trimmed the squad a little bit. So so from Boca's perspective, I mean, they haven't played since May the 31st as well. Mm. Um, and Atletico Monero, as we'll talk about, they've actually played 12 times since then, which is, I mean, that's wild. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that, definitely going to be draining. Uh, it is still, though, important to remember that we are in kind of the winter months. And I know... Brazil is obviously close to the equator. It's still going to be hot regardless. And But these players are also used to it by now in Brazil. It's, mm-hmm. the, it's the best time if you're going to be playing a lot of football to be playing. And yeah, Buenos Aires is cold. Yeah, BA will and be... Buenos Aires will be cold, yeah. Nice to play I mean, in. It will be cold. <laughs> yeah. Cold, nippy. yeah. It, 12 degrees like, and everybody gets their winter coats sure. on, yeah. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, but I do... But you have to remember the, these... Brazilian sides also have huge squads, as we've touched on. Mm. You know, double the size of most of the Argentinian squads and, and anybody else on the continent. So they are equipped to do this. And they still do have the attitude a lot of the time of we have a separate side almost starting 11 for the Libertadores. And in the middle part of the Brazilian campaign, there's a fair bit of rotation. Now, if we're in a, a juicy part towards the final third of the season, then it will be, okay, well, it's just kind of going back to back if you're still in the Libertadores at that time as well. But they are designed for this. They are built for this. So as an excuse now, I, I completely understand it, but I'm also taking it off the table, I think. In the same way mm-hmm. as the knowledge of you're going to go and play in Quito and La Paz, like the excuse isn't there anymore if you get knocked out by one of those sides, if they're, especially if they're a lot weaker than you are, at least on paper. You've, you know you're playing there. You need to learn as a professional football club how to adjust to those conditions and that is your job as an athlete these days. It's, it's it's cynical and and maybe a little simple to put it that way, but that's the line I'm towing for the knockout stage. Of no, the I, I think it's totally fair because you can look at this a couple of ways, Ollie, can't you? You can look at this and say, oh, Boca Juniors, they're refreshed. They had a proper pre-season. The coaches had time to work with the squad and they've had this, what is it, six, seven weeks between the end of the group stages and and the the last 16 to really prepare. So you could say, hang on, Boca might be really fresh, but also you could say Atletico Monero played 12 times, so they're going to have that match sharpness, that rhythm. And as always, Oli, it's, it's something you can speculate and talk about before, but it's only when the results come in that people kind of try and connect the dots and say, wait, it was 5-0 Atletico Monero. That obviously meant this, that, and the other. So there, there's always a danger of that. Um, I, you know, just in terms of Atletico Monero's re- recent form, um, I was watching some of the goals, actually, that they scored recently. Nacho Fernandez suddenly clicked Ollie. I think he scored three in his last couple of games. Hulk looking good. Um, you know, they actually they play tonight, which is Saturday, July 10th. Uh, they've won the last three matches coming into this one. So so they look in good form. Um, yeah, what can you say? I mean, Hulk was, was the main man, really, in the group stages. Scored six goals. The boss, Kuka, won it with them back in 2013. Reached the final last year with Santos, of course. Atletico Monero in the group stages, there was always the sense, wasn't there, Ollie, that, you know, they qualified from the group on five out of six games, but it was one of the poorer groups. So there was a lot of their victories were perhaps, uh, you know, not had a little sidebar, but it was worth noting that how impressive they were in the groups could maybe be eroded slightly by the by the lack of quality in that group. I mean, it, it depends on where you stand as well with the, is it about getting to the dance? And, and very much that's the attitude, obviously, in, in US sports and US soccer. Um, and it's something that, thankfully, we don't really deal with much. In US what? US soccer. Well, US they call it soccer, don't they? So we have to put it in their vernacular, <laughs> in their terms. We have, to, we have to open up the lexicon to those US influences these days, don't we? No, um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know who this man is anymore. Ollie's beaming in, by the way, from a far-flung location. He's saying the word <laughs> soccer like I'm all, I'm all thrown off. He doesn't have his usual like 500, uh, 500 Wi-Fi either. It's, it's a little bit grainier, Ollie, so I can't, can't see your face. <laughs> maybe maybe that was the problem that you, you, you misconstrued what I said and what, what, I, what I was saying was different because the, the connection is very fuzzy yeah. here. But it, but it, but it, <laughs> it, is, um, it is something that you can treat the Libertadores group stage like, particularly if you're in a group like Atletico Mineiro were. They didn't have to be 
exceptionally special. They just had to do the job that was required of them, and it was made very easily for them by the by the lack of quality in the group around them. It, it's a step up now, and this is a game that is going to be really interesting to see how good this Atletico Mineiro side that a lot of people spoke about, the strength of a very solid squad before the tournament, actually is against a team that is going to be very different perhaps to the Boca Juniors that we've seen before, and, and maybe that means a, a change in style as well. That would be interesting if, if that were to take place. It's going to be fairly defining, I think, this first round of 16 for setting the bar for whoever goes through of their real ability to go really deep in this tournament in the knockout stages which there are some mm. people that you wouldn't say that about because we kind of know what they're about anyway but these two I think it's still difficult to put a finger on right now of exactly where they are in being a contender sure I know we were going to go through these matches Ollie in terms of when they're being played but I also wonder if because of course the the draw's been done so you can see the path to the final so I wonder if it's worth noting now that obviously the winner of Boca and Atletico Minera over two legs in the last 16 will face the winner of uh, River against Argentinos Juniors so we could we could maybe touch on that or you know we could talk about uh, more chronologically and the other two games being played on the 13th uh, Sao Paulo Racing and uh, uh, what's the other one Sarah Potenio against Fluminense so so whatever you want no, let's go to uh, let's go to the uh, the winner of Boca against Atletico Mineiro. Yeah. Let's go there. Okay, <laughs> so it will be the winner of River Plate against Argentinos Juniors, two Argentine sides, two former champions. I mean, let's dive straight into this, Ollie. Two major points I want to make here. First of all, neither sides played since late May, so that's not something we have to discuss. That's just that's just uh, they're on equal foot in there. And the second is that Rafael Santos Borre has left. River Plate, he was such an important player for Marcelo Gachado in the last few years. Uh, at River, he, you know, he scored some really important goals. He was always very impressive. The Colombian, he's gone to Eintracht Frankfurt in the Bundesliga. Um, so, you know, River fans are so used to having their best players picked off, aren't they? So, mm-hmm. so they are used to that. But I guess the, the softener is that immediately and surprisingly, perhaps, they signed Brian Romero, who, you know, he was straight in at River He's a goal scorer. It's asking a lot for him to immediately replace Borre, and he's not the same player, really. But you'd have to say that as, as a kind of a softener goes, that's a, that's a pretty decent one. That's a really nice signing. Really nice. Um, mainly because Brian Romero is probably playing the best football that he's played in the last 12 months of his whole career. Because mm. he had the exemplary second half of last year in the Sudamericana, 10 goals after they dropped out of the Libertadores last year, going on to be the top scorer and lift a trophy. And when he eventually got involved in the group stage in the Libertadores as well this year, it was the same caliber striker. Now, I'm a big believer in, you know, like, is it Grant Holt at Norwich, who was banging in goals and almost like an England contendership at one point. And it was like <laughs> that was not a comparison I saw coming because Grant Holt was, not... was only ever going to score those goals in his domestic campaign okay. <laughs> with Norwich. If he moved anywhere else, it wouldn't have fit correctly, and he would have been out of yeah. shape, and he wouldn't have been in England contention, which is still a baffling thing to say. But Brian Romero might have that in that those great twelve mm. months have all come, albeit under two different managers with Defensor Justicia, but in the same similar squad, same key players around him. And we did mention, as we'll come on to mention later on, that this Defensor Justicia side was going to be broken up and it'd be interesting to see who they tried to retain, if anybody, and if people went back to their respective loans, etc. But I think for River Plate, they do have a finisher in this. And that's all that's all you mm. need. All football clubs need is somebody inside the 18-yard box that can stick it away, a number nine. And it's something that's like as a myth, has been kind of taken out of the game a little bit but look at what Flamengo do with Gabriel Barbosa that's all he needs to be and they've got the quality around Brian Romero to feed him service particularly as they've brought in Enzo Fernandez, who comes back from defence at Eustace after playing in and around with Brian Romero and feeding him those balls and if worse comes to worse they've got Lucas Prato back from his loan at Feyenoord as well so they do have an experienced forward, albeit not in the same calibre as a Santos Borre or somebody, but they've got a guy that also mm. knows how to do it at this level. And and South America is the home of the ageless forward. Let's not forget that. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you could also say, Ollie, that, you know, Borre, 
he did peel wide sometimes, but he was also fundamentally, he was a goal scorer, right? And it was more up to kind of Matias Suarez, maybe not this year so much, but last year, Matias Suarez to kind of work the flanks a little bit more. And, you know, when he was at the club, Nacho Fernandez to, to drop a little bit deeper and Nico De La Cruz to move around. And of course, Gachado likes his fullbacks or wingbacks to go up really wide. So you could argue that they're not the same player, but you could argue that, uh, yeah, it's goal scorer for goal scorer. Also interesting that Romero did play at Argentinos Juniors a few years ago as a winger. And, uh, and of course, since then, he's been kind of turned into this striker. And as you say, had an incredible time at Defensive Justicia. And just what an unbelievable late career. I mean, I think he's 30. So it's not so late, as you mentioned, by Argentine and South American standards. But at the same time, it's the back end of his career to have this kind of wild progression. All of a sudden, he's at River Plate in the last 16 of the Libertadores after what happened with um, Defensive Justicia last year. So amazing. I was also reading about River Plate's kind of pre-season in the States, Ollie. And when they come back from the States, they're going to have to be in a bubble because obviously of like quarantine issues. But they've got a couple of players coming back from the Copa America we mentioned earlier, and they're going to have to train separately before the match. So I don't quite know if Montiel's, you know, going to not see his teammates until they meet in the tunnel. Well, I don't know if he's going to be able to play or how that's going to work. So because you've got to think Montiel will be on the bench uh, for the final, right? And then he's going to have to come back to Buenos Aires. Is there just going to be no rules then for him? To, I don't know. It's, it's very messy. But uh, yeah, I mean, just looking back to the group stages, Oli River weren't very good. I mean, they had a million things go against them in terms of injuries and the mad situation of uh, Enzo Perez playing in goal. But they scored seven goals in six games. They squeezed through. Gashado's leaving at the end of the year. But, you know, it's, it's a decent draw against the side they'll know. So, so for River, what can you say? I mean, it's the last last sort of, four or five months, I guess, of Gachado's reign. So it'll be interesting to see if there's one last rabbit out the hat. The only thing I get into as well with this is like, better the devil you know or the devil you don't with playing Argentinos juniors because they will know River inside out and they will know Gachado inside out because it has been, you know, that it's been the Gachado era for so long now. You, you get to know how this team is going to set up and a lot of the time how they're probably going to play. So I just wonder if it might be a case of they, they come unstuck just a little bit. They they went out and got Nico Raniero as well from from Racing Club, the the forward, who's 26 years old and only played a, once or twice, I think, in the Libertadores this year, but was a key in their side in the previous year and with San Lorenzo before that as well. So it's just an, an additional boost in that front line, which, I mean, Argentinos Juniors were great in the group stage. It was a weak group, but they were really mm. good to watch. So it's it could be a potential pitfall early on for River. Um, of course, mm. if River gets through and, and Boca gets through, we then don't end up with a El, El Clasico, I think, actually, in the Libertadores, which is something of a rarity in the last few years. It hardly <laughs> ever happens. There is a danger slightly of it becoming a little bit, a little bit like, okay. Rangers yeah, another, Celtic. Another, yeah, another Clasico. Okay, yeah. Come on. I'm and super classic, I'm a... No one will ever see it that way. Um and the, sure. the last point was just like, when you mentioned, um, uh, you know, what's going to happen. Um, God, the name's uh, with Montiel. Is they mm. do have Alex Vigo there, who was the yeah. other stud right back. So if Montiel isn't available due to all the COVID situation, there is the opportunity for Alex Vigo to step in, who is a very considered a very good right back around South American football and, and certainly worth a watch mm. or two. I think we mentioned this as well just in the in the wrap-up of the group stages, Oli. But when the when the draw was made, it was literally avoid the big Brazilian sides. You know, and anything else is just you're complaining. Like, if you avoid the big Brazilian sides, like, you can't really complain about anything, I don't think, outside that. Because, to be honest, outside those, outside Flamengo, Palmeiras, it's, it's much of a muchness, really, across the competition. It really is in terms of quality. So, yeah. Uh, that's Hauchi, be Hauchi's back yeah, from those... his suspension as well, isn't he? Gabriel Hauchi. Yeah, he should be. Yeah, <laughs> after that unbelievable so. red card in the fifth group game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a little rush of, rush of blood to the head. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so that's uh, that's Boca, the winner of Boca against an Atlético Mineiro will take on the winner of River against Argentinos Juniors. Of course, the last sixteen being played over two legs. Um. How about we talk about Cerro Porteño Fluminense, Oli? Let's go where, wherever you want to guide me at this point, mate. We, uh... <laughs> also, uh, also been played the first leg of that. It's on the on the thirteenth. Um, 
yeah, I mean, Sarah Portenio in in the group stages, they didn't uh, they didn't particularly impress. They scored four goals in six games. Again, they haven't played since late May. The Paraguayans. So you know they're playing against a Brazilian side that that have played a lot recently. Um, Fluminense top group D. I remember Fred. Fred scored four goals, didn't he? And he looked good. Not in good form domestically. Interestingly, Oli. I mean, I don't know how much we can we can take from that, having not watched all of the Brazilian league in the last sort of month or so. But but certainly in terms of the results, they haven't played well recently. So you know, is 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 not playing at all <laughs> more advantageous psychologically coming into a match than having played ten matches, but you know, only one, only having won a couple of them. So be interesting, but. Yeah. No, it'd be. Su- what are your thoughts on this one? It would one? be surprising if Sarah Patenio ended up finding a way through. Still, just because I think Fluminense were such a, a, a joyous surprise to to have, particularly as on the continent as well. Their last few appearances have been really poor. Fred was the uh, the guiding light in their front line, but um, the youngster uh, Kaiki was uh, was. Where's, where's he going, Ollie? Uh, is he? Um, he's off to somewhere. <laughs> But he's not going yet, and that's the important thing. Is that he's not going yeah. just yet to uh, to one of the clubs in the in the north northwest, I yeah. believe, somewhere. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe it'll end up being like a five-year loan. We're talking, of course, <laughs> about Manchester City for those not familiar with Kaiki, but it might end up being one of those loans, Ollie, where it's just uh, you know goes on for a couple of years while he's while he's playing well and developing in Brazil. Um, yeah, I mean, and hopefully so if you're a Fluminense fan and if you enjoy watching them play as they did in the group stage because, because yeah, the, the combination of Fred and, and then youthful exuberance around him is kind of ideal for a, a Libertadores campaign of just have a smart, intelligent centre forward that can both create and create space for an effort on goal as well and knows exactly where the goal is. Um, they've brought in uh, Marlon Rodriguez as well, who I will say I haven't watched a lot of Turkish football, but he played a lot for Trebzonspor last year. Uh, in the Turkish league, as just maybe to to anchor up the defence a little bit more as well for the difficulties of, of knockout football. Um, so so that's an interesting signing in terms of Sarah Porteño. Most of their key acquisitions have, have been in the front line, which I think is fair because they were fairly drab going forward for most of the group stage, and that is where you would like to see them trying to to cultivate more opportunities and more clear cut chances in front of goal. Uh, nothing too crazy to shout about. Adrian Martinez, who played for Libertad and, and was part of the team that was obviously failing to qualify for Libertadores this year, but scored in the Sudamericana. Uh, Fernando Romero uh, comes in from Nacional. He was playing uh, with Guarena earlier in this year. And Rafael Carrascal as well, who was on loan at America de Cali and playing a lot in the Copa Sudamericana this year. Um, he comes in as well. All of them are fairly attacking-minded and it, Martinez is 29 but Romero is only 21 so there's a nice bit of youthful exuberance there as well it's just a side that needs to do a lot to try and I think impress us and make them and make us think and I don't want to speak for you too much Windsor that they're going to get past Fluminense in this first round because I think it's going to be a very short knockout stage uh, for Sarah Porteño yeah I mean I'm I'm basically rooting for all the non-Argian Brazilian sides just because there's so few of them and it'd be great to see one of them kind of go fairly deep in. I don't know whether you saw also like Ozamendia went to Spain, went to Cadiz, mm. which is a bit of a blow for Sarah Porteño, you know, very, very tidy player we've watched for a, for a kind of couple of years. So yeah, um, so that's a blow for them. I don't know if you're Sarah Porteño, you just look at it and think maybe Fluminense's form's not good. Maybe they had a good preseason, the groups the groups together, some of the new signings would do well. So it, it's so... Um, it's so difficult to to say, especially when all eyes have been on, you know, the Euros and the Copa America, and you know, it's without without watching Sarah Portenio in their preseason, all it's it's hard to really get a good group. I know because you How normally do that be? each year as well, don't you? You <laughs> normally normally picking up the feed, perusing the Paraguayan press, aren't you as well? Aren't you? Yeah, yeah, no, sir. Skip past me this June, and uh, <laughs> yeah, they will play. So over two legs, the winner of that contest. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Ollie, will play the winner of Velas Barcelona. That is correct, I yes. I think that is correct, yeah. Um, Vélez, again, Vélez-Sarsfield, uh, you know, they, they an Argentine side, so they ha- also haven't played since the end of May. Uh, finished second in Group G in the group stages against the Barcelona side, who we 
were kind of willing to do well and did do well in the group stages. They topped at Group C that involved Boca Juniors, of course. Um, Garces was very impressive, scored three goals up front for them. Damian Diaz played well, was also involved in, in Ecuador's squad in the Copa America as well. Actually have played a couple of games, Barcelona, recently in the Supercopa de Ecuador. So maybe they've got a little bit more match sharpness from that. I know they play Emelec tonight. As I say, we're recording this on Saturday, July 10th evening time in... Uh, well, I was going to say Europe. Oli, Oli's in Europe on technicality. Just yeah, technicality of Europe. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of this one, mate? Uh, really interesting that Vélez Sarsfield went out and bought Carlos Lampe from Always Ready, mm-hmm. the Bolivian goalkeeper. Who? Yeah, there were a couple of performances which Always Ready defensively in the group stage won't be very proud of at all. But I remember when we were talking about the um, the Bolivians that that Lampe came up as two or three times actually in the group stage as being a keeper that kept either scores respectable or kept them in games that they eventually won as well. Um, so as an experienced goalkeeper, who's quite clearly up to this sort of level, if he's got a half decent defense in front of him, that's a smart decision from, uh, from Vélez to go out, to go out and grab him and maybe stick him in between the posts. It is tough with the, I don't want to say inexperience because I was really impressed by them throughout the group stage as well, Velez. They just carried on that good form that took them to the semi-finals of the Sudamericana last year into this competition. But Barcelona, in what was a tough group, and maybe we misjudged it as a tough group to some extent. Maybe we thought Santos were better than they eventually were and who could have predicted Jefferson Soteldo leading so early with Santos and the disappointing performances we saw from them. But Barcelona did seem to live up to the expectation that we had of them 12 months before and improve on it as well it's this is probably going to be the most entertaining one uh, a tie i think of the of the round i think for me because i think you're going to have two sides that will just fancy they will both fancy getting past each other and they both are very Mm. good going forward yeah and i think yeah but of those sides that aren't from argentina and brazil Barcelona are, you know, probably the one that showed the most in the in the group stages. So they're the ones to cling on to if you're after non-Brazilian Argentine representation. And yeah, I mean, anyone that didn't uh, draw one of the big boys from Brazil, they'll they'll certainly be happy. And um, uh, yeah, so so the winner of Vélez and Barcelona over two legs will take on the winner of Serra Porteño against Fluminense. Yes, Oli. It's um, it's a great draw for every single team in that in that kind of little section of two games, four sides. That quarter, yeah. Yeah, it's a great draw because there really is a semi-final spot up for grabs for, for any of them, mm. you feel. And and I do think that the semi-finalists will come from that Barcelona or Vélez game personally. Uh, but yeah, I, I think all of those sides will look and think, our route to a possible semi-final, maybe even a final spot, is quite nice. Yeah. Look at it, looking at it with fresh eyes... You can definitely see that, can't you? Mm. Serra Porteño, Fluminense, Vélez, Barcelona. Yet yeah, one of those sides is getting to the semi-finals of the Libertadores, and that's uh, that is yeah the easiest little quadrant of the of the draw. Um, Sao Paulo, Racing. Maybe we can talk about it. these. These two sides met in the. <laughs> these two sides met in the in the group stages of the competition. Of course, it wasn't exactly a classic. I think was it. It was 0-0 in Argentina and 1-0 in Brazil to Racing, if memory serves. I haven't actually checked that, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that was correct. Um, yeah, 1-0 to Racing listen, in Brazil. Yeah, because that was a big result, I remember, after the 0-0. So there wasn't too much to choose between the sides, but um, Racing, uh, yeah, Racing impressive in the groups. I mean, Sao Paulo, in, actually in really poor form domestically. Of course, Hernan Crespo's their, their boss. Uh, Racing top group E, only one of... Three sides were unbeaten in the group stages out of the 32 that were in the group stages. Uh, and it was Racing, I think, let me remember, Flamengo and Atletico Mineiro. So, yeah, Racing, one of three sides that that, uh, that didn't get beaten. Uh, Thomas Chankalai was awesome, wasn't he? Awesome for me, especially the kind of latter half of the group yeah. stages. He looked great the whole way through. We'd heard lots about him as well before the group stages. There was a lot of hype, and I always think that's so difficult when there's already pressure on your shoulders. And, and Chankalai just looked like he, he really thrived off having that pressure coming into all the games. So, so he was great to watch. Can't wait to see him in the last 16. Uh, yeah, what would you make of this, Tyler? Guess who's back? Back again. 
I can't believe that Lisandro Lopez is once more going to be pulling on a racing shirt. It's such sure. a good story that leaves the mm. club, an absolute hero, legend for them, goes off to Atlanta United, comes back six months later with two appearances in Major League Soccer to his name. The old dog with his tail between his legs has come home. Wouldn't it be great if but- Lisandro Lopez pops up with a f- blinder? And I've seen it before. I've commentated on him getting an overhead kick with like three minutes to mm. go in the derby against Independiente, like coming off the bench doing it. I mean, yeah, him and uh, Martin Ojeda as well. Um, another former wrestling player who comes back uh, to his old stomping ground. He's only 22 compared to Lopez's 38. The uh, the kind of the key signings that they've that they've brought in. And yeah, wrestling were really organised and really. Just well structured, to be honest. They didn't, they weren't yep. terribly interesting to watch for large parts of it, but they they were good going forward. They created a lot of problems at set pieces, whereas Sao Paulo started so brightly and then really just tapered off. You know, new manager bounce almost. Crespo comes in, it's all exciting, and then it just slowly winds down again. So mm. from that sense, I'd put on the balance of play, Racing probably is my favourite for this, and probably the side I'd like to see go through more. Because I know when we talk about, obviously, avoid the big Brazilian sides and we, we're, we're fearful about the Brazilian domination, potentially, of South American football. And even with Argentinian sides, though, when it comes to a Vélez or a Racing, because the relevance hasn't been as recent for those sides on, a, on the major stage, it, and it's always about Boca and River and Boca and River. And wouldn't it be nice to see, like, yeah. to see Racing go really deep and deeper than a, a River or a Boca? and really impress mm. and get to a semi-final or a final. I mean, I don't definitely don't think it's going to happen considering the draw they've got coming up, whoever wins this in the next round of the competition. But yeah, mm. I, I, do, I do fancy Racing to get the job done. It will be, a, will be an enticing tie. I mean, these sides had never met until this year, and now they're going to have four games in the space of a group stage and a first round of 16. <laughs> it's like buses, you know? You wait for it, and then it all comes sure. at once. And, they, you know... Both Racing and Sao Paulo only conceded two goals in six games in the group stages. So there was a lot of tight matches. There was a lot of defences coming out on top. And yeah, it's interesting what you say. I mean, it, it needs it. It needs a big a big um, club from Buenos Aires that's not uh, Boca or River to, to go and do something in the Libertadores. It would be absolutely awesome. Mm. Uh, okay, so the winner of uh, Racing and Sao Paulo Paolo will take on Universidad Católica against Palmeiras. Um, I mean, Why what, are you saying what, the name? what would have to happen? What, <laughs> what would have to happen, Oli, for Universidad Católica to to take a spot in the quarterfinals of the competition this year? Um, what what kind of event? I mean, you know, a, yeah, 34. I was going to say a COVID outbreak, but that you know. 34-year-old Something like Matias Dituro becomes uh, the world-class goalkeeper that he never was at Celta Vigo. Uh, well, no, he's gone, actually, sorry, to Celta Vigo, hasn't he? Yeah, no, there's, they've lost the starting keeper. They've lost San Pedri. It, it's I hard mean, to this see. Catolica side, they didn't have much going for it anyway. Yeah, it's uh, it's impossible to see, in my opinion. Uh, I don't mean to be belittling mm. Universidad Catolica, but they weren't a great side in the group stage in a pretty poor group. And Palmeiras mm. have just added, they've added quality to what was already probably the best side in this tournament. I'm not yeah. a betting man, Be- although I have put money on Palmeiras. And I, I'm <laughs> I, pretty I sure your last podcast you were talking. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't get into like the whole like hipstery like. Oh, but if you look at like, I just keep it simple. This is this, yeah, there's no yeah. no way Windsor, absolutely no way that Palmeiras get through aside from the COVID outbreak that you mentioned sure sure that, that's the only caveat I'd say I was I was reading um if you're listening Christian uh thanks a lot for your blog that you wrote actually recently about Palmeiras's good form domestically and it was very interesting actually Ollie because Christian was talking about how relentless Palmeiras are in the first 15 minutes of games recently and how they've just scored so many goals like a third of their goals in the first like 10 or 15 minutes of their matches and just goes to show they're just such a dominant side that they just want to kill games and kill teams really early and we saw that in the Libertadores group stages I'm sure we'll see it against Universidad Católica um you know we don't really need to talk about what they did 
did, but they 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 came through uh, Group A so easily. Scored you know scored twenty goals in the process. Amazing form. Honey was awesome. Uh, they were just battering sides, and and uh, you know it, it would take something really special for them not to score a lot of goals past the Universidad Católica over two legs. What about just in in general with Palmeiras to bring in Mateus Fernandez from Barcelona and to bring in Miguel Borja, like. Mm. Good you player, don't need yeah. more attacking weapons, but no. you've added a, a proven goal scorer who definitely gets goals and, and a potential young starlet in Mateus Fernandez who was making some waves at Barca already. I mean, not to bring a European football bias into it, but yeah, it's it's really difficult to look past them winning it still. <laughs> I don't... Uh, yeah, it just baffles yeah. me. They're, they're so, they could potentially be so good. They're so good. And it's, I guess it's that strengthening from a position of strength, isn't it? Which is the most powerful way to do things. Not to kind of suck a, a squad dry, but recognise when you are one of the best sides, if not the best side, comfortably in, 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 in the competitions you play in. And from that position, like strengthening again and again. So so that's going to be really interesting. I mean, I, I don't think they retain it just because sides don't retain the Libertadores. Mm. No. So, so you know that that's there, but that's of course there to be to be broken. But for Universidad Católica, Gus Poya is is the coach. Um, so they played in the Copa de Chile recently, so they've had a couple of games to to get fresh because of course Palmeiras and all the Brazilian sides have just kept playing football. Um, yeah, it, it, it's still baffling, mate. It's still baffling that that league goes on. Amazing, because obviously you've got the state championships in Brazil and the, and the Brazilian championship as well. So, so much going on. But uh, yeah, Universidad Católica weren't particularly impressive in the group, scored six goals, did finish runners-up in like 93. Uh, I don't think that holds much relevance. And bar, bar a COVID outbreak, you, people used to say, oh, you know, red card for the goalkeeper after five minutes or injuries and suspension. And I think COVID outbreaks, the new caveat, but on steroids for, for giving the underdog a possibility, right? <laughs> yeah, that even if there was a red card early on as well, I, I still wouldn't. Yeah, say, I'd still think two legs. have been with 10 men. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Never say never with COVID so- in Brazil, though. No, no, of course, of course, anything can happen. Um, anything can happen anywhere, Oli. Our, our, our fine land isn't, isn't, you know, it's no shining example. So, so no, no judgment here. Uh, so, yeah, the winner of Universidad Católica and Palmeiras will take on the winner of Sao Paulo against Racing. Uh, yeah, um, so that's that. There's that quarter of the draw. What does that leave us with, Mr. Wilson? Should we talk about Defensa well, Justicia got- again? Go. I was going to say, well, we do have Internacional against Olympia, which I think is uh, is the best place to start with this one, only because mm-hmm. it's another one that I don't feel there's too much to be said about. I would be surprised if the Brazilian side wasn't able to get past Olympia, who very much rode their luck to get through that group stage and get into this round of 16. And anything can happen, but maybe not this. Yeah, it was a mad... I mean, it, football moves so quickly now. And there's so many, so much across the world to chew on since then. But it was just that crazy result for Olympia beating Deportivo Tachira uh, in the group stages right at the end that saw Olympia kind of squeeze through. This is a club with immense history in the Libertadores, of course. But yeah, I agree. I mean, Internacional should have far, far too much. They topped a very tight Group B to qualify. Won at a couple of ties themselves, Internacional. Oli, they've played... Inter have played 13 matches, or will have played because they're playing this weekend, will have played 13 matches since Olympia last played theirs when the two sides clashed. That's like a mini season. I mean, that's just crazy. That is, it's not like one side's played a few more games. They've played 13, it's a third of a season. It's <laughs> yeah. just unbelievable. The, the And I'm not saying I know what that will mean. Maybe it doesn't mean anything. Maybe it has no impact on the game. But I just think that's... I cannot think of too many club competitions where one side has played, you know, 30 matches. I was trying to, in my head, I was thinking, you know, when the European side's playing maybe the second or the third round of qualification for the Champions League after a summer break. 
And those matches are really important, like really, really important. If you get to the third round of qualification for the Champions League, that they're potentially two of the most important matches of your season because it will get you into the group stages and with it all the money and the stature and, and, and everything else and, and potential new signings, et cetera, et cetera. So that was the only kind of comparable thing I could draw on in terms of clubs that, that, that don't play competitive football and then are suddenly thrust into a really important match. But um, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I, I, I'd love to see, because I love the history, you know, reached seven finals, Olympia won three of them. So I love that kind of weight of history, but I, I just can't see anything other than, than the Brazilians going through. Yeah, there's been no dramatic change to their squad. So, I and it was a side that wasn't, almost wasn't good enough to get to this point. Whereas Inter were very much a side if we go back to the group stages, that we're certainly still trying to figure themselves out under uh, Miguel Angel Ramirez. So with the amount of time there has been and the amount of games that they've played, you would hope now that Inter have worked themselves out. And actually, yes, it's a lot of games, but it's may be beneficial to the round of 16 and onwards for Inter in this competition of now Miguel Angel Ramirez is far more settled in at this this Brazilian powerhouse. And they are a Brazilian powerhouse. They're a big side in Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah. and that weight of expectation yeah, as well will hang over the players and they'll be expected to get past Olympia. And yeah, I just it's it's relatively mm. simple to me this one in terms of uh, of picking, you know, two nil either leg almost. So the winner of that tie will face the winner of Defensa Justicia against Flamengo. Um Listen, Defensa Justicia, of course, Sudamericana champions, Argentine sides that haven't played since the end of May. They, I mean, it was kind of an odd group, wasn't it? <laughs> group A. Because when I think back, Ollie, I remember some kind of great moments for Defensa Justicia. And of course, they qualified, so they won't really care about the, the, the statistics. But when you look back, I was like, oh, they only won two of their six games. You know, it's not really very much, is it? But they, they managed to get through. Um, listen, they've sold... They've sold Romero to, to River, so that's that, that's a really big issue. Uh, and Flamengo, you know, 2019 winners, uh, didn't lose a game in the groups. We, we were impressed by, as ever, them going forward, the, the goal-scoring abilities that they've got, the fact they've kept the nucleus of that squad that's so so talented. Uh, yeah, they're, they're not in great form domestically, certainly based on their recent results, just outside looking in, but, but you'd still expect Flamengo to, to be more than comfortable. Yeah, it's in- interesting. Obviously, uh, I know Thula's gone as well, the, the defender who hasn't mm-hmm. really played much in this season. But but losing Jason uh, to Marseille, it, it, it is a loss. Surprised at that, by the way. Yeah, I don't think it, he's that. I think he was a, a good player, but I'm, I he went for more money than I thought. Sorry to interrupt, Jolly, but I remember seeing that transfer and thinking that is not. I don't think he's worth that money. That was my initial reaction. Uh, well, I think he might be worth that to Flamengo. But I don't think I think Marseille have overpaid. But I think Flamengo probably think that he is very useful as a, a, a the holding midfielder, and and particularly when you look at how iffy that back line for Flamengo has been during the group stage. You know, Jesson did a nice bit of tidying up in the middle of the park and, and keeping the ship relatively steady at times. It's great they've got the attacking quality, and we know obviously they can score goals. But at the same time, I just wonder if that is going to prove to be a bigger loss potentially than some people may realise. And I'm not, I know it sounds like I'm sitting on the fence. I don't really want to go one way or the other because we just don't know. But it, it could prove to be something quite detrimental of how they can anchor and hold a game. Because again, there, there hasn't been a big replacement coming yeah, to, I, to hold the four. Sorry, you broke up a little bit. You broke up a little bit there, Wilson. Uh, yeah, sorry, say again. They just haven't replaced him a. a or brought anybody in to kind of hold down the fort in that same way in the middle mm-hmm. of the park. Yeah, I was just, I was, yeah, I mean, I think Marseille did slightly overpay, but I, I do know what you mean. He'll, he'll be a loss for them in terms of that anchor. When we, when we talked about the two standout sides in the tournament, Flamengo and Palmeiras in the group stages, it was the one difference maybe that we, we knew that both sides could go and score an awful lot of goals, but the, the suggestion was maybe you can kind of get between the lines of Flamengo better than you can Palmeiras. Even though, you know, Palmeiras weren't, they weren't flawless in the group stages, but but they're very, as, as defensive Justicia certainly will know themselves, but uh, very impressive. I mean, it's it's got a huge potential, man, to be tie of the round. And, uh, you know, there's a couple that look look quite intriguing, but as a goals fest, 
you know, this this should be defensively decent. We we know that they're they're probably going to try and outscore you because that's the way they've been built and that's the way that they're in this season as well. And Flamengo have always been, you know, the players that they've accumulated, that the talent they've got, the fact that they're the biggest club in Brazil, um, arguably, but the, because they have to go and attack. And uh, so yeah, th- this could be from a neutral perspective, could be an exciting one. It could. I mean, the attacking side of defensive justicia has obviously changed because Pizzini's gone back to Independiente as well. Obviously, the as we mentioned, losing Enzo Fernandez back to River and Brian Romero going along with him. And obviously the boss's son, Nahuel Gachado, has also left to go back to River after his loan at defensive justicia. Um, interesting they brought in Lucas Barrios. Yeah. Former Libertadores winner, knows Palmeiras, knows Gremio, of course, therefore knows Brazilian football may be a, a great mind to have in a, particularly in a, a tie against a Brazilian side and, and that could be a, a nice piece of just inspiration in, in picking up Barrios and bringing him into the side Alexis Soto as well comes in who was a key in the back line for Racing uh, during the uh, the group stage on loan at, at Defensive Justicia now again it's a nice another body to help anchor down a defensive line that wasn't terribly good at defending for large parts of it so I think the changes with Defensor Justicia mean that we might see a, a slightly different side to the one that we're used to seeing as being so cavalier. Walter Bow is still there, though. And and he mm. was the guy when Brian Romero was out at the beginning of the group stage. He was the guy that was leading that attack. And so with him still there, there may be a great centre forward still that they can rely on to score goals. And if they can play with some pace, there is a Flamengo side, as I say, without their anchor in the midfield gone. Um, and with a defence that was at times pretty ropey during the group stage, there are goals to get at them. And it will be exciting to watch. It's it's always difficult to look past Flamengo because of the quality they have in the front line, though, isn't it? I mean, we can wax lyrical about mm. it, but Bruno Enrique and, uh, and Gabi goal, Deas Cayeta as well. It's a tough front three to see anybody outscoring at times. Mm. What odds did you get on Palmeiras when you put money on? Can you remember what it was? We definitely talked about it in maybe not the last pod, but the one before that. But I'm just because I'm just looking at it now, Ollie, and I still think if someone from Bet365 is listening, you've got this wrong. This isn't like a subjective thing. You've just got this wrong, your odds. Like, so they've got they've got Flamengo at three to one, River at five to one, and Palmeiras at six to one. In no logical world, a, a river a better bet to win the Libertadores than Palmeiras. So if you if you work at Bet365, I'm sorry, you've got that wrong. Wilson, you go, you go for it, mate. Yeah, 6-1. to one, You I had them at 6, did you say? Yeah. Okay, so they haven't changed one. that, which, which is fair enough because I guess they've just set the odds and just left it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not a gambling man myself, really, but uh, I think if you put a grand on Flamengo and a grand on Palmeiras, you would not be losing money come, uh, come the final of November. I'm not a gambling man, but I'm going to tell you how to spend your thousand pounds. Don't worry about it.